Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the 20th episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to take this opportunity to give you a quick update on Expat Empire. I'd first like to give a big thanks to everyone that helped fill out our survey about where you get your information about moving, living, and working abroad. Your feedback will be used to determine what kind of content Expat Empire will create and where we'll be posting it. So look forward to some exciting new developments coming your way in 2021. On the topic of content, it's been two years in the making, but we have finally managed to register the Expat Empire trademark in both the downloadable podcast and ebook categories. So you can expect many more episodes of this show and new books from us in the coming months. Next, the Goodbye America online video interview series is currently running through January 3rd, 2021. While my interview has already premiered on the website, it will be available for replay for 48 hours at the end of the series alongside 20 more expat interviews, so sign up today to get full access. Last but not least, as we go into a new year with some positive signs that we'll be able to come out of this pandemic situation, it's a great time to make plans for your next move abroad. Whether you're just looking to make your first move, transition to life as a digital nomad, or just want someone to talk to about your travel and moving dreams, we are ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey abroad. We are currently offering a limited number of free 30-minute consulting calls to help people just like you to jumpstart their moves abroad. So please contact us to book your time before it's too late and all the spots are taken. You can get links for all of these updates in the show notes for this episode. With all of that said, today we will be hearing from Chapin Kruder. Growing up in Southern California, Chapin developed an intense passion for surfing. He took the opportunity to move to Nicaragua to start a surf camp with his friend in 2005, and eventually transitioned into being a digital nomad in 2015 with his business, Surf Progression Techniques. After visiting more than 40 countries and learning the ropes of the digital nomad lifestyle over the last few years, he has a lot of great insights and advice to share with us. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey, Chapin. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Hey, David. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So I'd love if you could just start us off with a little bit about your background, where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where are you right now? I'm from Southern California and actually currently in Southern California. I kind of got stuck here due to COVID. Mm. Uh, I spent the better part of the last 15 years in Nicaragua. I moved there in 2005 and stayed pretty much through 2017 with some jaunts around the world here and there staying in other places around the world as well for you know six months at a time but yeah nicaragua is kind of has been my home base for quite some time and um traveled to a little over 40 countries throughout my travels and thinking about moving to mexico in the new year mexico's open i just took a quick little trip down there for like five days i love mexico i speak decent spanish i'd like to improve my spanish and surf some more so that's where my head's at right now great and so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Nicaragua. So I personally haven't been there and I haven't had any guests on the podcast so far that have, you know, at least lived there or spent more than maybe a trip. So I'd love to hear more about what drew you there in the first place, how you found it, how you decided that was your spot. Walk me through basically your transition from Southern California to living in Nicaragua in 2005. So actually, I'd come back from a year-long traveling trip. I'd passed through Nicaragua in like, I think it was 99 
Um, I had driven from LA to Costa Rica with a buddy. So I passed through. Nicaragua was a place I knew had waves. I uh, was excited to maybe someday get back there, but took a few detours along the way. And then when I'd come back from a, a year-long adventure with a good friend of mine, I bumped into an old high school friend who had just bought some land in Nicaragua, married a Nicaraguan woman, and was starting a surf camp. So the travel bug had bit me. In 1998, I had spent some time in Costa Rica in a small little village called Puerto Viejo and really knew that I wanted to live in a little village like that. So that's when I decided that trying to become an expat at some point in my future was something I wanted to do and then did the whole travel thing. And then when this opportunity presented itself to move to Nicaragua and help my friend start a surf camp, I just jumped on, jumped on it super quick, quit my job. Within two weeks, I was down there and we were starting a surf camp together. What was the job that you quit? It sounds like you were quite obviously quite ready to go and looking for that opportunity. You know, what were you leaving behind essentially to make that big life change? It was really just a, I was just valeting cars. I'd been home for like nine months, roughly, just valeting cars, reconnecting with my family who I hadn't seen in that year I was gone, and just really digesting everything that had occurred over that year, what I wanted out of life. You know, after nine months of being in Southern California, I was ready to hit the road again and really give it a go. You know, kind of like in stories that you've told me about your desire to be in Japan. Well, my desire was just to be outside of America. <laughs> right. I like the third world a lot. I like the tropics a lot because I like to surf. I like the warm weather. So when my friend invited me down to help him start the surf camp, it just like serendipity, it was perfect. A perfect and is in alignment with exactly what I wanted. Yeah. It sounds like it, especially as you said, with that pre-existing interest in being where there are good waves, being where there's opportunities to surf, you know, definitely aligned with that. So could you talk a little bit about your interest in surfing and how that developed into you know this career for you ultimately? Yeah, it was a bug that bit me as well as a young child. My dad took me down to the beach one day. He's not a surfer, but I had seen people surfing and he got me a surfboard, a wetsuit, and I tried it. Um, instantly knew this was something I wanted to really dive into and, and make a part of my life. So I've been surfing for like over 30 years at this point. And a huge part of my life, Uh, that and soccer were both really influential aspects of the things and decisions I tried to make throughout my life and how I could cultivate a lifestyle where I was doing one or the other at all times. And so after my soccer career kind of ended, I wanted to get back into surfing. And um, with moving to Nicaragua, it really allowed me to take my surfing to a level that I never thought I was going to get to. Surfing was something that I wasn't really gifted at. I was athletic and I could pick up a ball or a tennis racket and do that stuff pretty naturally. But I think one reason I stuck with surfing for so long is that it didn't come naturally. I really had to work hard at, at making myself better. And I am competitive. So having my friends progress a lot <laughs> faster than me was annoying. At 25 years old, I'm still not where I want to be as a surfer. A lot of my friends are like either still professional surfers at that point. And when we were 25 or finishing their careers as professional surfers. And I'm still like at this intermediate level that I was never able to get over that hump with. So going down, having this opportunity right before the tourism wave hit Nicaragua, I got there like two years before the tourism showed up Hmm. and I was surfing every day with my friends on average six hours a day, different spots. So it's like a buffet of waves. And that's a very unique experience for a surfer because in Southern California, There's usually a couple hundred guys out in the water. It's highly competitive. It's very difficult to get waves. So to really have that opportunity to just get wave after wave after wave, work on my technique, not have the pressure of competing with anybody aside from myself, really took my surfing to a level that I couldn't believe, number one, but also because it 
was something I wasn't naturally gifted at. I had to come up with a, a formula and a way in which I could help myself improve since I didn't have the network of people around me to like kind of show me how to do certain moves. I came up with this mm-hmm. formula basically that really helped me get to the next level, which then I decided to apply to my coaching services that I've created since then, my online mm-hmm course that I've created since then uh, to help surfers progress their surfing. And it just kind of all transitioned into this new phase of my life where I'm trying to become a digital nomad, working on my online entrepreneurship skills, which as we talked pre-show are non-existent, but (laughs) I can see it as it's a similar sort of feeling I had with surfing. Like I want to be good at it. I'm not naturally gifted at it. So I can see like me pursuing this digital nomad career and being an online entrepreneur is something that I'm going to do forever because it's really difficult for me. I like the challenge. Right, right. How did you actually change from doing this surf retreat in Nicaragua with your friend to now creating your online course and trying to bring it all online? Because it's obviously, as you said, a totally different skill set and indeed trying to do something that is a physical activity, but to be able to provide a service or to be able to provide help that makes sense in a digital context to people all around the world is, I would imagine, quite different. So it'd be great to hear more about you know your thought process and how that transitioned, I guess, about 10 years later after you started the surf retreats, surf camp, into this digital business that now you're focused on making your core and really developing that skill set going forward. The time spent in Nicaragua was beautiful and powerful and came to a point though where my business partners wanted to leave. And I realized that most beautiful aspect of my time down there was the relationships I had cultivated with these people that we just had so many ups and downs together, like the trials and tribulations of trying to run a business in a third world country. Sometimes you just feel like it's insurmountable, like you're never going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And um, Nicaragua, especially with, it's not a great place for small businesses for tax reasons. It's like, it's just difficult. It's always very difficult. And I'm also a traveler at heart. I want to be able to move around the world. And I found myself just stuck there, even though it's a beautiful country, beautiful people and a place I can see myself wanting to have like a retirement home or you know, make my primary residence. I'd like the freedom to be able to move around the world and make money without having to necessarily push people into waves and teach them how to surf on a daily. And right. so I stumbled across Pat Flynn in 2014 and my world changed like i didn't really know anything about digital nomads i didn't know anything about online entrepreneurship i didn't really know how to use a computer we didn't have internet for the first like three years in this little village i lived in so i'd have to drive an hour to get online to like communicate with my family via email didn't really do the whole myspace facebook thing like so when I made this decision that I was going to try to become a digital nomad, an online entrepreneur, like I was starting from ground zero. And then, but Pat Flynn's podcast really, really was super helpful for me. And just all the individuals he brought on really inspired me to, to stay motivated and figure out how I could do it. And even though I was following some of the things he was advising, I was learning that like my ideas weren't that good (laughs) Mm. based on what he was saying, like the metrics you could use to determine if this is like a, path you want to go down before just starting it and hoping. I knew because my lack of interest in computers, my lack of interest really in in online entrepreneurship, if you will, this Mm. is the only thing that was going to keep me focused long enough to learn how to use a computer and learn the different things I needed to know to like create something was what I already knew in surfing. So I kind of just saw it as like me taking what they were already doing with like people's golf swing and I could take people's footage that they would send me 
and I could analyze it, break it down and send them back something that was going to really help them progress because of that formula that I had created for myself to help me progress. So that's kind of where I started. I flew to Thailand because I knew there was kind of a digital nomad scene there and um, bumped into a guy at a bar who's like, well, you should create a surf course and put it on Udemy. <laughs> and I had never considered that really because I was just kind of going to do this like YouTube channel and um, like I said, just do the, be, the, be the golf swing of the surf world. And right. that's kind of where it started. And you know, I've been in it now six years and although I have some knowledge to show for it, I can't say I've, I've made much money at it, but I'm at this phase right now. I'll probably pivot into something new, but it's been an interesting, long, difficult road that has had a lot of beautiful aspects to it as well. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, there's definitely lots of ups and downs. And I'm sure, yeah, over the last six years, you've seen you know quite some hills and troughs, I guess you could say. So in terms of actually becoming a digital nomad, so first, as you said, you went to Thailand. And what was your kind of goal as being a digital nomad? So of course, to see more places than Nicaragua, as you mentioned, but did you have an idea of which countries you wanted to go to or sort of how you were going to leverage this new lifestyle to better align with your goals or what you really wanted to be doing over the following years? Yeah. So the Pat Flynn thing really made me think that passive income was attainable <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that my goal was then going to be to generate $500 a month of passive income because mm-hmm. my years of being on the road and the years in Nicaragua, like I've designed my life to need very little. So 500 bucks a month was going to be plenty of money to do what I wanted to do on the road. And maybe I could save a hundred bucks and buy a ticket home once a year. <laughs> and so the goal was, yeah, just to create something, generate mostly passive income from it, whether it's a YouTube channel with you know sponsorship or this course that I created that I could just automate through you know email funnels and stuff like that, and have people just purchasing my course and I can sleep and make money. You know, yes, <laughs> fully bought into that. Which for everybody listening, that is not that real. Like it always takes work. Yes, you can automate systems. And yes, I do actually make some sales while I'm sleeping, which feels great, but it's never like completely passive. You can never walk away from it and have it continue to run and make tons of money. Anyways. So yeah, I was going to be kind of, I'd probably always stick to third world countries generating, you know, 500 bucks a month through just online enterprises. And that was the only plan I had. So my goal was to generate 500 bucks a month in passive income within the first six months. Hmm. And then I think three years later, when I did my numbers, when I did my books at the end of 2018, if I averaged out what I made off of my course passively, mm-hmm. it did add up to 500 bucks a month. But it That's was great. a very turbulent year. I mean, I think I made most of that money at the end of 2018 because I was in this like digital nomad mastermind where everyone was helping me out. And I made, you know, like, I don't know, like three grand in 10 days because everyone everybody was helping with my funnel. Right, right. Well, that's great. I mean, that obviously getting that into that community, being able to get that feedback that helped to be able to make the next step in your business is fantastic. Do you have any advice about finding those communities and being able to take those steps? Because I mean, I think that would be helpful for me, even in this case, just to bounce ideas off of people. And there are these masterminds, but there's so many of them out there that it's a little hard to know kind of where to look or, or what to trust and who to talk to, right? Yeah, I was trying to find people like yourself and like people who do live the digital nomad life for a very, very long time. And it was very mm. difficult. Um, and you meet a lot of people trying to sell you something. And like oh, you yeah. meet a lot of people who really don't have a clue what they're talking about and groups that, you know, might 
have a lot of very successful entrepreneurs in it, but they're there more to like try to capitalize on other people within the group, you know, or like they're just there to like talk about how great they are at what they do. And it wasn't until I met this guy, Chris Reynolds, who has a podcast called um, Business Method Podcast. He introduced me to the Dynamite Circle. And the Dynamite Circle is another international mastermind of just the most amazing people who are so helpful and give way more than they take. Chris Reynolds has his own little thing called Get Shit Done, which was kind of my intro into this group. It's in Thailand every year. It's just been so helpful. I mean, I can't say enough positive things about the Dynamite Circle if you want to check them out. It's a paid mastermind, so you got to pay to play, but you know they are so helpful and it's such a... Dan and Ian who host it are just great guys. Cool. Yeah, that's great to hear. I've heard of it as well. So good to get some positive feedback and positive reviews. And uh, I was curious, so you went first to Thailand. Did you stay there for a long time or were you actually, let's say, taking advantage of your relatively newly found location freedom to move to a lot of different places? I mean, to me, it's always interesting, the idea of the freedom to be able to go anywhere, but at the same time, then you have to decide where you want to go, how long you want to stay, how much you want to be going to different cities, let alone different countries, while trying to grow your business and build those relationships. And then if you're gone the next week, can you, do you manage to keep in touch? So I realize there's a lot in there, but I'd just love to hear more about how you transitioned to that more location-independent life and how that changed your lifestyle. Great question. For me, and everyone out there listening or anybody who gets to experience this, you kind of develop your own style of how you move around the world. And I like to try to stay my full visa. Thailand doesn't really give you that long. They give you like a month. So if, that's just if you land, but you can go to the embassy and get like a two month or a six month. So I try to stay as the whole length of the visa and Thailand specifically because it's such a short amount of time. Like I try to do three months. And so that first time I went, I did six months. And I just mm. left the country and came back. I like to move very slowly. I like to stay at least three months in countries and then in specific locations. I don't like to move very quickly. So I like to do like two weeks to a month. Um, so I'll land in Bangkok and I'll do like three weeks in Bangkok, you know, and then I'll make mm -hmm. my way up to Chiang Mai. And I did like three months in Chiang Mai. And then I like went across the border to Myanmar and I did the full length of my visa there, which was like 28 days. Mm -hmm. While you're simultaneously trying to build a business, it's very hard to be moving rapidly. Right. So that's why stationary is way better. I kind of have this thing where it's like two weeks in one location, minimum, three months, maximum. And then I like to move on. And when you say move on, it's move to a new place, but potentially come back to that spot or... It's sort of like I checked, you know, Thailand or, or you know, Chiang Mai off the list, and now I'm on to new horizons for the rest of my travels. How do you think about going back to places? I go back if I like them, but yeah, I usually try to move on and not go back. With the network of people that reside in Thailand for like that three month time period, which like all the digital nomads around the world kind of flock to Chiang Mai for like October, November, December. It's a place that you just kind of get drawn back to, even though you don't really want to go back there, or I don't really need to go back there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Chiang Mai. It's a great place, but you know, it's in the mountains. I prefer the ocean, but I do find myself going back there and just enjoying it for what it is. Right. But yeah, normally I do like to go to someplace new and, and see something new. So I did like Myanmar, Vietnam, and really just had a blast this last time I was there. And then as far as like future travels, I'm always going to probably stick to like, you know, third world more affordable countries. Like, even though I'd love to go to Japan, I was having a conversation this last weekend. Like, if I could fly anywhere right now, I'd go to Japan. 
it's such an expensive country. Oh yeah. And maybe I'm completely wrong. Like maybe I could do it on the budget that I like to travel on. I don't know. Right. I just I always hear things about it that make it sound really expensive. Yeah. I, my just short two cents on that, I guess, is that um, I think the idea of Japan being super expensive is still slightly a relic from the 80s when it was like going crazy. And obviously that bubble has burst and never really came back. But I will say that for travelers, I think one of the biggest expenses outside of just even taking trains around to different cities, which, you know, a lot of people like to do that, but it can be quite costly in Japan. Um, you can get a, a rail pass that'll be a bit cheaper, but the biggest expense will be indeed a hotel or whatever type of accommodation you try to find, unless it's couch surfing, you know, which I, I'm not sure how good that would be and available that would be in Japan, but um, that type of situation might work. But indeed... Whenever I go back, I'm always amazed at how much the hotels are. And the rent wasn't cheap either. But at the same time, it, of course, on a night-by-night -night basis, paying for the hotels is going to end up costing a lot more. So I would love to say that you should definitely go and visit Japan. I hope you'll make it there sometime. But you'll have to see, do the budget math and see if it makes sense. Yeah, I plan to. I will. I'll make it work somehow. Just have to save a little bit extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of places that you like to go to or that you end up finding yourself drawn back to such as Chiang Mai, which is up in the mountains. And I've been there as well. Great place. But I was curious, given that you have such a drive and a love for surfing, how much does finding good waves have an impact on where you find yourself in terms of you know staying for at least two weeks, if not three months? Very little, to be honest. I mean, I spent so many years in Nicaragua surfing my brains out that <laughs> it's even though I, my life style is surfing, surfing base, like I can easily put it down for months, even years and not miss it too much. But yes, like I do think about when I'm in, in Southeast Asia, like I want to take a jaunt over to Indo and get waves. That's always in the right. back of my mind. I mean, Japan has waves, like there's so many waves around the world. And one thing I did that was kind of cool is prior to, I'd been in Chiang Mai for three months. I was missing the ocean. I knew I was going to Myanmar. So I started Google earthing the coast of Myanmar mm. looking for waves, which is one way that surfers try to find waves around the world. <laughs> and uh, I found one. I thought I found one. So that was my goal was to get to this wave that I thought I found. And it took me 28 days to get there because Myanmar, cool. even though it's open, it's still like there's areas that are closed and like trying to navigate certain yeah. places. Like you're just trying to get information as you're moving along. And not that many people were there and not many people had been up to where I was trying to get to. And I only met one guy who would this French guy who's like, yeah, I just came from there. It's totally cool where everyone else said like, oh no, you can't get there. It's closed. Hmm. And so it was just this incredible adventure of trying to find a wave. And I got up there. I borrowed this guy's bike because there wasn't any way for me to like rent a bicycle or a motor scooter or anything like that. Cause the place mm -hmm. that I just didn't have that kind of infrastructure for tourists. So I, I rented this guy's bike for three bucks for the day. And I rode 20 kilometers up this beach <laughs> trying to uh, find this wave that I'd seen from like Google Earth. <laughs> and uh, along the way, I was like so enthusiastic about this adventure. It was so exciting. And there was waves along the whole stretch of the beach that I was riding up. I was like, I did it. This is incredible. There's going to be a wave like at this one location that I had found on Google Earth. And when I got there, it wasn't any wave. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I had found so many new cool little beach breaks along the way. It was so worth it. And it really just made the adventure so worthwhile yeah, yeah surfing <laughs> definitely plays a role but not as much as you would think based on you know how much i i do surf and love surfing 
Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's good, at least in my experience. So I'm, I've done more on the scuba diving side of things so far, and I'm getting into surfing a little bit, but I'm at the very, very early stages and we'll see how it develops. But for me, it was always interesting to, of course, I call it like the land trip and just do stuff that has nothing to do with scuba diving, but then sometimes do just a diving trip. And sometimes if I find the right country to be able to do a little bit of each, and I think that's a nice balance as well. So your 2C list, you know, depends on what you actually want to do or what you want to see while you're there, what the purpose of the trip is. But it's nice when you can maybe take, like you said, a, take a quick trip away or, you know, jump on a cheap flight to go somewhere else nearby to be able to get that part of your life sort of satisfied as well in the midst of your travels, right? Yeah. And David, like I can really relate to something you said to me earlier, which is like, you're more the person who likes to observe. Mm -hmm. I am as well. Like I love sitting on the side of the road someplace in a new country, literally just on like a stoop with a beer and just watching the culture go by. Like that's one of the, my favorite pastimes that I could do anywhere in the world and just feel so fulfilled by that. So yeah, like as much as I love surfing, like again, sitting on the side of the road in Bangkok's equally as fulfilling. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling and definitely I think picking uh, as an example, Bangkok is a good one because you definitely pick up a lot of culture just sitting on the side of the road with, with a beer. So I totally 100% feel you on that one. And I was actually curious to ask you a bit about your podcast. So you have a podcast called Misfits and Rejects. Does that have, I mean, I'd love to know more about the origin of it, but to me, it seems to connect with this idea of we both like to be a bit more observant, see what's going on in the world. And maybe our podcasts mutually are a way for us to get more auditory than visual, but a way of just taking things in and indeed being a listener of other people's stories. So I'd love to hear more about your experience with building and starting and really developing that podcast over the last few years. Yeah. The idea, I never had the intention of starting a podcast. Misfits and Rejects was a conversation I used to have with my business partner, Jack in Nicaragua. And the term misfits came up a lot just with the characters that we constantly were encountering and meeting coming through our camp. And then as things progressed, rejects started coming into the conversation as well. And a lot of people interpret it in different ways. And I like that. I like it doesn't mean that you know these people are rejects in any way. Like misfits and rejects is a very. It's a, I use it the term very affectionately. It's meant to be inspirational. I feel like I don't fit in. I feel misunderstood at times, and so misfits and rejects ultimately is me, my persona, my personality. And that conversation continued on for many years. And just like oh, these misfits around us, like some of these people, like who legitimately actually were rejected. By the countries in which they came from for various reasons, whether they were running from the law, trying to avoid child support, trying to avoid tax implications, like you really met some characters and I just found them to be beautiful. I mean, everyone that I encounter usually is like highly intelligent. They might have their eccentricities, which I find extremely beautiful to get to know more about. And classically thinking that maybe I'll write a book about it. You know, maybe I'll write a screenplay like you hear everybody ever ta always talking about on their travels. Right. And so the idea was just in the back of my mind and that the verbiage was always there. And I love just using the term, talking to people about people. And it wasn't until I actually listened to Pat Flynn for like a year when I was starting to develop uh, surf progression techniques was my first, you know, online entrepreneurship endeavor that mm -hmm. I realized, well, why don't I just throw a web page an extra page on my website and I can start a podcast and I can actually just put the microphone in front of these people whose stories I'd love to share with the world because I think they're right. beautiful. I think they're inspirational. I think this culture is so underrepresented in, on their accomplishments and what they're doing around the world that like 
I'm going to be that person who's going to show the world like how amazing these people are. So I flew down to uh, Chile and uh, put the microphone between me and a good friend. He was actually a boat captain of mine in Nicaragua for a period of time. He's an Irish dude. And uh, episode one was born in January 2016. Great. Yeah, just kind of been going ever since. It's like it's a labor of love. It takes me like seven to 10 hours a week to produce one episode, as you know. And yep. I don't make a dime off it, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you know we had a conversation pre-show for my podcast and just hearing your mm -hmm. story fills me with hope, <laughs> inspiration, <laughs> and drive to like keep doing it and the desire to show the world like how beautiful you are, David. Like I'd love to have Misfits and Rejects evolve into possibly like a, a YouTube channel that I could yep. bring a visual aesthetic to, which I've been trying to do for the last year. It, it's costly and difficult with the circumstances of COVID. Right. Uh, I've considered turning it taking like all my past content because I have over 200 episodes, consolidating it and turning into like little animated series, putting it on YouTube. That's mm -hmm. extremely costly and time consuming as well. So I really haven't found my footing yet with how this is going to evolve, but I mean, I'm not going to quit. And uh, I love you and everybody else I interview. And I think you guys are beautiful and inspirational. So I'm just going to keep going with it. That's awesome. I love it. And I'm glad to have been able to have the opportunity to be a part of it. I feel the same way about how I started Expat Empire podcast, this one, which was really just knowing some people having built this community of expats and good friends from around the world and loving their stories and always, you know, hearing those and being curious about how they got to where they are now and what hurdles that they had to overcome. And yeah, just giving them the floor, giving them the microphone to be able to talk about their experiences. So that's also what drives me to be able to share that with the world. And I'm glad that you're coming from the same place and that we can, you know, sort of work together to try to get some interesting stories out there to more people and hopefully inspire more people as well. Yeah, no, that's the motivation for sure. And inspiration is one of those things that you think is abundant, which it is in some ways, but the stories don't always connect directly with the person who's hearing it, you know? So that's why I love the colorful characters that I bring on because everyone's got a story and everyone's got one thing they could say that might inspire somebody. And that's always my hope. If I can inspire one person, then I'm a happy camper. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that inspires me about your story and probably many of the listeners as well is the fact that you were able to take your love of surfing and bring that not just first to a life abroad in terms of being primarily in Nicaragua for all of those years, but now bringing it into the digital world, becoming a digital nomad and having great times in all different locations around the world and potentially Mexico coming up here soon. So how did you really think through turning that surfing passion into this digital nomad career? Because I know a lot of the Passive income opportunities, digital nomad uh, situations tend to be, for example, drop shipping or uh, blogging. There's sort of a handful of different things that people typically do. And what I see in your story is something different and something that's more aligned with your passions. And so I'd love to just hear how you kind of thought through that in terms of your options for this passive income. And also if you have any advice for other people trying to take their passions and turning it into a business as well. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think I took the approach as a lot of entrepreneurs talk about is like ready, shoot, aim. I knew I had to take that first step. I knew that I wouldn't stay interested in the online entrepreneurship game if I chose drop shipping, which is an actual thing that you could make money with. I mean, the reason right. that everyone's in drop shipping and all these other things is because it actually makes money. <laughs> I was operating from like, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality, which yeah. 
doesn't really work. It's rare. <laughs> if, if it does work, you're a unicorn. You're right. very lucky. And trying to do the whole like, take your passion, make it a career, very dangerous as well. Like I'm living proof that after six years, like doesn't really work. It's not that easy. Like I say, it doesn't work. It's something that like you're implying you want, like what, how did I calculate the moves that I made? Well, I didn't, I followed my right. passion. I followed my gut. I just did what I wanted. I started producing content that I wanted that I thought people would get inspired by. And to be completely honest and transparent, like nobody really cares about what I do. Mm. You know, like mm. I found out this year that, you know, my analytics were completely wrong on Squarespace, which is where I host my podcast. I thought I had like 20,000 downloads per month. That was what my analytics was telling me. Well, that's just not the case. Like I have a hundred devote followers who love me and I love the podcast, but like that was a huge shock and a huge blow to the ego because I've been doing this for so long. And to find right. out that, you know, people aren't sharing it, you know, it's like, maybe it's my marketing, maybe it's the content. Like, I don't know. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around this whole thing. The whole surf thing didn't really work out in the way I wanted it either. Mm. So like advice that I have for people would be first, do it, like take that step. Like don't make excuses. If you want something, go out and get it. You can be more calculated than I. There's so many great people out there. Like I've mentioned, Pat Flynn who only helps like people who are just getting started really flush out the idea that's actually going to make money and going to give them that lifestyle that they want rather than like what I did, which I mean, I did Pat Flynn's checklist when I first came up with the idea for surf progression techniques and like didn't meet any of them. <laughs> like I didn't meet the standards of even moving forward with this. But like I said, like for me, I didn't have a choice because a computer doesn't interest me to be honest, like online mm -hmm. entrepreneurship doesn't interest me. Like the challenge interests me and I love the idea of being able to make money from my computer. Those are the two driving factors that keep me doing this daily, week in, week out. So as I'm transitioning, as I'm pivoting and moving towards still the goal and the dream of becoming an online entrepreneur, a digital nomad who can make money from his computer, I'm now kind of going back to square one, picking Pat Flynn's book up, back up, like, will it fly? going through those steps again and like really trying to flesh out an idea that is going to make me money. Cause I'm 41 years old, dude, and I'm broke, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I've designed my life that way. Like that doesn't bother me. But what does bother me is that there are people I love in my life who need financial support from me mm. and are going mm. to as they age. And I can't provide that for them. So that's another huge driving factor for me is trying to figure out a way that I don't have to compromise my love of travel, my love of ex being an expatriate for a nine to five back in Southern California where I don't feel like I fit in. I feel yeah. like I have a belief in myself that I can figure it out, but I kind of have to start playing by certain rules that I totally ignored when I first started walking down this path. I think the great point that you made definitely starting out as you described that was just telling people to indeed get started and take those first steps. And that's certainly what I did, obviously what you did and what most people just have to do is to get started. Um, you don't want to have the analysis paralysis of overthinking things, but I suppose, as you say, there is a balance to be made between just going for what sounds good in your head and indeed what maybe makes the most business sense. And there needs to be some sort of balance there. I'm still figuring that out myself. So now that you're kind of looking back on things, how would you have 
done it differently? I mean, obviously, as you said, that was the area that you knew best. It was the thing that you were most passionate about. Maybe it didn't meet those checklist requirements, but you still went after it. And I mean, it's obviously been, you know, good times and tough times as well. But would you have changed anything? Or do you think that you needed that experience to now be able to go back to the table and look at new options with a different mindset as well? I needed that experience. I'm a slow learner. And I needed that to really, I think, put the foundation down, that solid concrete foundation that I can now build off of to move forward. You know, it's like I couldn't be where I am today if I had chosen a different path. I know that like I would have just gotten disillusioned, disheartened, unmotivated if I was trying to be a drop shipper. Right. I don't care about drop shipping. You know, I have to have like some sort of reason for doing what I'm doing. And usually that's in like a helpful way. Like I like helping surfers progress faster than if they were trying to figure it on their own. So now I'm going to try to, like you said, try to find that balance of, well, what actually is going to make money. I can, I'm going to test the market and utilize, you know, maybe surveys or something like Facebook ads and, and try to really hone in on something that has a demand that's greater than, you know, the 10 surfers that follow me on, you know, YouTube, which is not sure actually <laughs> yeah. a decent following, but it's just too small of a group of people. There's no money mm-hmm. in it. You know, surfers are cheap. They want to travel the world and surf a lot as many waves as possible rather than, you know, spending tons of money on, me. So right. yeah, it's just trying to find that niche that like is going to tick all the box or, you know, more boxes than not of me feeling fulfilled by it, but also making money. Yeah. In very simplistic sense, I look at two types of entrepreneurs. There's the type that can look at any opportunity, see the money and that motivates them. And then there's the type that really needs to be passionate and driven and, you know, find some connection with the type of business that they're going after. So like you said about drop shipping, I I feel similarly. And obviously we're both as of yet going after our passions with our businesses more than necessarily just launching the next cryptocurrency or seeing this item that you could sell on Amazon. I mean, who knows what the future holds <laughs> and best of luck and congrats to all of the folks that have made it work in those areas. But obviously a simplistic example, but that's kind of how I see it. And it's important, I think, for people to recognize at first, which maybe of those two types, if there are only two that they are, because indeed, whatever you choose to do, it's going to be a lot of work. And so you need to make sure that you're in it for the long haul. So I think it's great that you have put in all of this time and effort to try to indeed see if it it can work. And of course, at any time, it can be a great opportunity for you to switch paths and pivot to something new. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's a book actually, and I haven't re- read the whole thing yet, but I th- he mm-hmm. kind of describes three different types of entrepreneurs. His last name is Levesque. I think it's called Choose. And I realized like, I'm not that first type of entrepreneur where it's just the money is the goal and I can do whatever just because I'm so motivated by the money. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely more passion-based. But then there's a third, which is like the lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people right. can, like myself, start an online enterprise because they want the lifestyle and that's motivating enough. And that's kind of where I fall into like... I'm motivated by the lifestyle and trying to really make that lifestyle real. Yeah. And as you look into the next years, obviously, maybe you're kind of looking at the business, thinking about new options, also looking at Mexico as well. So what are your thoughts about maybe where you're headed over the next few years and just your thinking as far as Mexico is concerned, where you're maybe looking at potentially trying to settle down there or is it even settling down? I don't know what to call it these days. <laughs> maybe it's just a short time and then you go 
back and you're still on the road quite a lot when things open up more, but uh, would love to hear your thoughts on what's next for you. As in the coming years, I'm still going to be doing Misfits and Rejects. That's where my focus is right now. I'd really like mm. to grow that and build that into something um, powerful in the sense of like instilling motivation, inspiration, individuals who hear it, see it. I don't have any great ideas on my next business venture mm. that like a product that I'm going to create or a service that I'm going to create. I'm still kind of mulling over some things that I like the idea of, but it's again, I like it. I don't know if there's really a demand for it. Right. Mexico is a great place because I love the food. I love the culture. There's tons of waves and there's tons of digital nomads. Like Playa del Carmen is a huge digital nomad hub that I have a lot of friends in right now currently. Even though there's no waves, it's still probably a place I wanted to stop by and say what's up to everybody. Thought about maybe hanging out in Mexico City for like two to three months because I like the city vibe. I have friends on the West Coast, north of Puerto Vallarta. And then there's mm. a small little town that a surf photographer friend of mine recommended that I'd like to kind of maybe just go disappear for a while in and really work on my Spanish surf and develop whatever I'm developing online. So I can see if I can pull it off, I'd like to spend next year in Mexico for the full year. That would be the goal. And then the year after that, I don't know. Sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the beauty of it is that you don't have to know. And you can obviously have all of those different experiences and if you can do that on your limited budget and make it work with all of the cool stuff that you've got going on and figuring out what's next, kind of regrouping and yeah, as you said, testing some new business ideas, I think that sounds fantastic. And honestly, I'm over here thinking, I mean, I love Portugal, but I, there's so much I'd love to see in Mexico and I've never been to Mexico City and obviously a lot of those places, I'm sure not only have great waves and great beaches, but lots of awesome opportunities and the network you've built there, I'm sure is going to come in handy. So I'm envious. I'd love to see what's up with your travels and keep in touch with you. So how can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing and just keep track of all of your great adventures around the world? Yeah, just check out my podcast, Misfits and Rejects on any podcast player, Spotify, Apple. I have a website, misfitsandrejectsaswell.com. If you are a surfer and you want some help progressing, happy to help you. Uh, you can go to surfprogressiontechniques.com. Check me out there. And on Instagram, I Misfits and Rejects. So I'm always happy to connect with anybody. You can DM me. You can email me through any one of those websites and love to start a conversation about whatever's on your mind. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Can't wait to see what's next for you. And uh, let's keep in touch and see what happens over the next year. Appreciate you, David. You have a good day. Ciao. Thanks to Chapin for sharing his story with us. You can find the full transcript for this episode at expatempire.com. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, please tell them about it so that we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. 
We are currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your relocation plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and stay tuned for more episodes in 2021.